For the longest time in my life, I felt stuck. I felt like I had absolutely no control over anything that was happening in my life. I was in a job that I absolutely hated. At the time, I felt like even my marriage wasn't working the right way. I had two amazing daughters already. Yeah, they were both born already. But I felt like even my interaction with them was forced or ineffective. And I felt so lost. I was floundering basically. I felt like there was absolutely nothing in my life that was working the way I wanted it to work. I was losing touch even with my faith at the time and I just wondered what was the point? Why was I going through all the things that I was going through? And I felt so stuck in that space. Like I had absolutely no choice. I had to keep going. I had to keep showing up at that work that I hated. I had to stay married because good Christian women don't get divorced. I had to keep going through the motions with the things that were going on with my daughters even. And I just felt so distraught and so out of place. Like I didn't fit anywhere. And I had people all around me, but I felt so incredibly lonely. I felt like there was very little that I could do to shake this feeling and this emotion of being in the wrong place all the time and not knowing what to do next. Have you ever experienced that? That is actually one of the main reasons why I do what I do. And today, Sincerely Speaking, I want to share with you three of the main distinctions that helped me shift from that feeling of, of despondency and of dissatisfaction and of feeling lost and alone and unfulfilled to actually leading a life that I absolutely love. Now, these are not the only distinctions, obviously, but these are three that if you can just grab a hold of them today, if you can own them and do with them the best effort that you can, they're going to start altering your life right now. Are you ready? Let's dive right into it. Hi, I'm Marcia Morrow, self-leadership coach, communication expert, and your life integration strategist. I work with creative, multi-passionate, contribution-driven professionals and entrepreneurs who know they've been called to make a difference in this world, but they might feel stuck or confused as to what their next steps get to be. I help you lead an integrated life in which all the pieces of your life come together so that you don't feel the guilt, the overwhelm, or the burnout that usually accompanies success, and so that you can leave lead lives, relationships, and careers that you're not just proud of, but that you absolutely love. Let's dive right in. All right. So as I said in the intro, and I will repeat it again today because it occurs to me that some of you might be listening to me because of the topics and so forth, but you might not be really clear on what I do. So what I do is I help, again, creative, multi-passionate, contribution-driven, which means amazing people who want to make a difference in the world. And they are either in a profession or in a career that they want to use as a leverage or as a catapult towards that impact that they know they get to make in the world. But they might be a little bit confused as to how to do it. And they might have this sense of guilt or um, like they have to sacrifice parts of their lives in order to achieve these other parts that they get called to. And I'm here to tell you, you can integrate it all. You're one person. You get to live one life that incorporates all aspects of who you are and that advances all of them in the same direction. So 
If that is something that interests you, stick around because we're going to talk about more a little bit about that in the end. But right now, I just want to dive right into the three distinctions that helped me start shifting my life towards that wonderful integrated life that I absolutely love and that will help you start making shifts in that direction as well. So as I was saying at the beginning, I went through this period of time in which I felt completely lost and I was not sure what to do, how to do it or where to go. Now, aside from the fact that I prayed and I sought out God's um, direction and God's lead in all of this and I sought out his wisdom. One of the three things actually that I work through are the three distinctions that are going to that I'm going to share with you today. And the important thing about this is understanding that um, I call these things downloads, right? Sometimes when you are in a situation in which things have to shift, and it often happens in my experience in moments when you feel almost desperate, right? But when you are in this space where things have to shift, sometimes you just get this download, right? Very often you get just this sense of wait this is it, this is what I get to do next, right? And these three distinctions were some of my first downloads and revelations in the areas that I help my clients with as well, right? So I help my clients lead themselves that's the self-leadership piece. And when you lead yourself, you understand how to manage the important parts of your life, the important pieces. And we divide that into four quadrants and we look at each of the elements within those quadrants, but that's a conversation for a different time. But as I help people and as I worked myself through this process, these three distinctions are very often considered the most impactful ones. And they are very often also the easiest to grasp, right? Like a lot of the work that you do when you work internally can feel like ethereal, right? It can feel out there. It can feel like something that it's hard to touch and hard to grasp. It can feel intangible. But these three, I think, are real easy to understand intellectually and therefore live in our day to day. So we're going to dive right into these three distinctions. And as we do, what I would love for you to be thinking about is where do you fall right now and what shifts can you start making in the way you show up? in the way you act, in the way you are with yourself and with other people so that these distinctions become a reality in your life and in the way you operate on a day-to-day -day basis, all right? So I want you to be thinking about the practical, tactical applications of these things. And we're going to talk about uh, some things that might seem a little extreme, but I would love for you to just open your mind and your heart and again, start thinking about how can I use this? How can I apply this into my life? How can this work for me? And what can I get from this? All right. None of what I'm going to say is completely new. You've probably heard some version of this, if not the exact same thing I'm going to say at some point. So again, be open. What new thing, what new application can you learn from this? How can this work for you? And those questions are going to keep you not just grounded and focused on the information I'm going to give, but they're also going to start moving you in the direction of applying them in a more powerful way. So the first distinction is get to versus have to. Get to versus have to. Now, I want you to just test something out for me. Say to yourself right now, I have to clean my house. I have to clean my house. And be aware, pay attention to how that feels in your body, in your mind, in your emotion, in your thought process. What does that do to say, I have to clean my house? The first thing that comes up for me, it's a big size, like, oh, I have to clean my house. 
right? It feels heavy. It feels loaded. It feels to me like somebody is pinning me against the floor or putting a gun to my head so that I do this thing that I don't really want to do, but I have to do it, right? It feels very obligation-like, <laughs> right? It feels stuck. It feels like you have no choice. It feels weighted. And very often it feels external, even if you're the one imposing it on yourself, right? Like when I say, I have to clean my house, nobody's telling me to clean my house, but I immediately go to, well, if I don't clean my house, my husband's going to get angry. My girls are not going to be healthy. The dog is probably going to eat stuff that she shouldn't eat. So I have to clean my house. And it feels very external. It feels like imposed by something or someone else, right? Now, take a deep breath and try out this other sentence. I get to clean my house. I get to clean my house. Now suddenly that feels like a choice. I get to do it. It also feels almost like a gift. It's like out of all the things in the world, I get to clean my house, right? It feels like freedom. It feels like I am in control of whether I do it or not. And it feels again like a choice, like I could decide very well that I'm not going to, but I get to, right? Doesn't it feel very, very different? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> no, I know it's not just me because the people I work, to, I work with also experience the same thing, but it feels very, very different. Now, I know what you're probably thinking because it's the first objection I often get from people. It's like, what do you mean you get to? You have to. There are things you have to do. No, there's nothing in this world that you have to do. Nothing. There are things that you do automatically without thinking, you know, and some of those keep us alive, like breathing, right? There are things that the consequences are worse than the doing, right? Like nobody loves paying, well, very few people, I have met a couple, but very few people love paying taxes. But that doesn't mean you have to pay taxes, you get to pay taxes. Now, if you don't pay taxes, there are consequences that you're probably going to end up facing, right? So more often than not, when we make this shift from have to to get to, the choice is on whether we want to have to face the consequences of not doing it or whether doing it is less painful than the possible consequences and therefore our choice is to do it versus facing the consequences, right? But if we can bring ourselves to flip that script and instead of saying, well, I have to pay taxes, I say, I get to pay taxes. And then even going beyond that and saying, you know what? I get to pay taxes, not just because I don't wanna face the possibility of going to jail, right? Avoiding the stick, the carrot on the stick kind of situation, right? But I get to pay taxes because that means I get to continue living in a free country. I get to continue taking my daughter to a school that is basically free. I mean, there are a few things that you have to pay for, but public education, decent, free, right? I get to enjoy nice roads. I get to live in a place that has pretty much everything I need at my disposal. I get to go and worship without being persecuted. I get to vote for my president and my elected officials, right? I get to let my voice be heard. I might not exercise that right all the time, but I get to do it, right? So paying taxes 
becomes this completely different experience because I realize that I get to do it. And in the get to, I get to contribute to a lot of the things that I value in life. But when it's a have to, I don't see much positive in that. It's just this weight, this thing that I am obligated to do, right? That is inflicted upon me and I have no choice in the matter. But when it's a get to, right? So when you find yourself saying, I have to do whatever, flip the script and say, I get to, and not just say it, start looking at what get to means in that sense, right? I get to clean my house, which me- which means I get to create a wholesome, wonderful, healthy environment for my family, which means I get to walk in the house after going out for whatever it is that I need to do or that I get to do. And I get to smell the wonderful scent of a clean house. It means I get to go in the shower and not feel the gunk under my feet, right? So I get all these wonderful things out of this experience that would normally be something that feels weighted and horrible. So the next time you find yourself saying have to flip it to get to and not just see how it feels, how it feels differently, how it even sounds different coming out of your mouth, but also see what that is attached to, right? What benefits, what wonderful, amazing things are happening because you get to do this thing, right? So that's the first distinction is get to versus have to. The second one is responsibility versus blame. Whenever we are faced with circumstances, especially circumstances we don't know, our first instinct is to blame. Remember what I was telling you about at the beginning? I was miserable in that space. And my marriage was in dire straits. I mean, it it was bad. I considered leaving my husband more than once, right? And the reason, when I think back on it, is because I needed an escape code. I needed to blame somebody for the fact that my life was miserable and the easiest person to blame was him, right? So I went around blaming him for the fact that I was miserable at my job, that I was having a hard time dealing with some of the issues of motherhood. You know, it felt like I was alone in motherhood. That's why I have it. I mean, I never, ever, ever, ever regretted or had any issues dealing with my daughters directly, but it felt lonely, like I was alone in this process, right? And so it was real easy to just blame him. He was the one that caused all these things, right? And very often when we think about responsibility, we equate it with blame. They're two completely different things, right? So before I tell you how I shifted the blame into responsibility and what the the, the shift is, right? What the distinction is, I wanna talk about what the two actually are and how they're pinned against each other, right? When you are in blame, especially if you're blaming, if the blame falls on you, right? Like if you're blaming yourself for something, you are putting other things or people on the driver's seat, in the driver's seat, right? So other circumstances, other people, other things are causing this and therefore they are in the driver's seat. And even when you think like, I'm to blame, I'm so horrible, I caused this thing, you, I'm willing to bet that it is like, I caused this, but it was because, right? So there's an outside something, something external is causing you to do this thing. It's never because you deliberately went out and did something, 
right? So, and blame is typically associated with things that we consider as negative outcomes, right? But very often, more often than not, we blame others. And when we blame others, we're putting them in the driver's seat, right? We're letting them control the outcome. We're making them um, the ones who have the authority to lead the result and to lead the situation, right? Versus when you accept responsibility and you own responsibility, you're putting yourself in the driver's seat, right? So good, bad, in between, whatever happens, I'm the one who is in control, who is in the driver's seat. I'm the one who can steer this thing wherever I want it to go or wherever I think it should go or wherever it's best suited to go, right? So going back a little bit to the get to and have to, right? When you are in responsibility, you get to steer the steering wheel and steer the direction of whatever is happening, right? You get to say, okay, this is the circumstance. And let me say this, circumstances are neither good nor bad. They just are. Facts just are. And that's why you can have two people experiencing the exact same thing at the exact same time and have two completely experiences with the thing. Because the event, the circumstances, the facts, they're neutral. It's the interpretation we give them that makes them good or bad or in between, right? So when we understand that circumstances are neutral and I get to shift them so that they become more positive as in my interpretation or more negative in my interpretation, then I understand that I am, I'm the one holding the steering wheel. I'm the one with my hands at 10 and 8 or whatever, at 10 and 2. And I'm the one who can decide to go right or to go left. Does that make sense? Because when you are in responsibility, you're taking a power stance. You are in your power. You are saying, you know what? Yeah, there are these circumstances out there, but these circumstances don't determine what I do with them, right? So responsibility is about your ability to respond. It's about your ability to say, you know what? Yeah, these are the set of circumstances. This is the fact. This is what is actually out there. This is what is happening. This is what is um, quantifiable and verifiable, right? This is the fact. This is the objective thing. But I am in a space where I can respond to this and decide from my power stance, whether I'm going to turn it into something that is productive and positive or allow it to just drift into negative and disempowering and awful, right? So let me give you a, for instance, and an example. My dad was diagnosed with kidney disease when I was 13. That same year, my baby sister was born. There were five of us total now. My mom was then trying to deal with my dad's illness and spent a lot of time with him in the hospital. Um, some family members were brought in to help, but that didn't work out the way my mom had hoped, right? And I ended up at 13 having to take a lot of the responsibility for the house, right? And I said having, and I said responsibility, right? So that's a little dichotomy that I'm still getting to work through. But the point is that I stepped into a position more of uh, like a mother almost type figure in the house at 13 with my sister that was seven at the time, six, six, and my baby sister that had just been born and my brothers that were older than me. Now, as a result of that, right? There were a lot of things that shifted in my attitude, in the way I saw the world, in the way I did things, and in the things that I did and didn't do. For the longest time, for the longest time, I blamed my dad's illness 
for killing my childhood and for turning me into this sour person that was always sighing and miserable and that carried into this experience that I told you about at the beginning, right? It wasn't until I realized that I was responsible for the way I decided to respond to the situation that nobody said to me, you get to be a mom now. And even if they had, I still had a choice of whether to take that on or not. That I was able to release a lot of that and move forward, being grateful for the things that I learned in that process and being grateful for the person I became because I would be a completely different person without those things, right? So if I had stayed in blame, and let's go back to blame for a second, then I would have kept on blaming my dad's illness. I would have become a victim of that set of circumstances, right? And then I would have lived in reaction to those circumstances. So instead of stopping, interpreting consciously the situation and choosing a response that was empowering and helpful, I would have been stuck with the reaction mode, my instinct, my default, my knee-jerk reaction, right? There's a reason why when you are under medication, under medical treatment, they use the word react versus the word response in terms of how your body interacts with that treatment or with the medication, right? If you have a reaction, that's bad. If you respond, that's good. Think of those distinctions in terms of responsibility and blame too. If you are reacting in blame and you continue to allow blame to be the overarching sentiment that controls how you interpret this particular set of circumstances, you're going to continue to give other people the opportunity to be at the steering wheel and decide where you go. You're going to continue to be in victim mode and you're going to react to everything and living reactively leads to anxiety, leads to depression, leads to dissatisfaction, leads to um, burnout. It leads to all these disempowering things that we are so often trying to cure or avoid or fight against, right? Whereas if you are in responsibility, if you can own it, then you can say, you know what? I get to respond to this in a way that is empowering. I get to take a power stance and decide where I take this and what I do with it. And I get to turn this pile of crap into cement for my foundation, right? Makes sense? Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that negative stuff doesn't happen. I'm not saying that stuff that feels crappy doesn't happen. I'm not saying that people can sometimes suck and do things that are harmful and hurtful. I'm not saying that someone who experiences a tragedy should sit there and say, you know what? I caused this tragedy. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. Because remember, I'm not talking about laying blame. And the moment you look for the cause, you're looking for the blame, right? But if you are owning it, So it happened, and it happened to me. And now I am the one who gets to live with the consequences of however I choose to respond to this thing. And if I can find it in myself to figure out how I can use this in some way, to figure out how I can take a power position instead of a victim position in this situation, then I get to move forward faster and more effectively, right? So that's responsibility versus blame. And the last distinction is motivation versus commitment. Motivation versus commitment. So we're often told to look for our motivation, 
Examine your why so that you know your motivation. And motivation is important. Motivation, when you have it, leverage it because motivation can move you forward fast. It can give you such amazing momentum. It's not even funny. The problem with motivation is that motivation is mostly based on feeling. And it's very often dependent on the circumstances around you, right? And therefore, it requires constant reset and refresh. Or tell me if you can be in motivation 100% of the time in high motivation. Even if you're doing something amazing that you love, your motivation is going to do this, right? It's going to rise and fall, rise and fall. And every time it falls, if you need it again, you have to figure out how to refresh it and how to reset it so that you can get back up. And that can be very exhausting. Not just that, if you're depending on motivation to do something, what do you do during those lull times? Do you just not do anything, right? Do you just let things slide? Do you just let everything just drift and go wherever it may? So if you're depending on motivation, yeah, motivation can be good when you have it. But if you're depending on it, then you are cutting your own ability to move forward faster and to do the things that you decided that you get to do, right? So what is the alternative? The alternative is understanding commitment, right? Now, both commitment and motivation, in my opinion, come from the same source, which is your purpose, which is your calling, which is your why. And that is the very first thing that I help the people that I work with discover is what is that motivation? What is that purpose? What is that, not motivation, what is that purpose? What is that why? What is that uh, vision is the word that I was looking for before, right? So once you have that, both commitment and motivation come from the same thing. But the distinction is that commitment is a decision not necessarily based on feeling. In fact, when you understand commitment, those moments in which you don't feel like doing something are the moments in which you activate your commitment the most, right? Because it is a decision to get to a destination. It is a decision to not allow anything to get between you and who or what you decided to be and do, right? So this commitment is a cutting away of any other possibility. And when you commit to something, it is not negatively affected by circumstances, right? Or it is not cut short by circumstances. In fact, like I said before, when you are really committed, usually in those moments when the circumstances are contrarian to what it is that you decided that you're going to do, that is when you activate the commitment the most, right? And therefore, commitment is a sustainable thing. When you're committed to something, when you truly commit to something, there's no law. It's the commitment. It's going to happen. It might take a while. I might need to do a couple of iterations and a couple of tweaks. I might need to re uh, re uh, recruit some help. I might need to find some other resources. I might need to go learn a new skill. I might need to go and find whatever. But it's going to happen because it's committed, right? And when you are in commitment, you take action because you know that you're not going to get to that thing that you committed to unless you move. When you're relying on motivation, you might take a little action, but the moment the motiv motivation dwindles, the action dwindles too, or stops completely, right? So when you can make the distinction between motivation and commitment, you welcome motivation. 
And if you know that there's something that you can use as a trigger to ignite that motivation, you use it and you leverage it as much as you can, but you don't rely on motivation. You rely on commitment. And again, like I said, once you know your vision, your purpose, your calling, your why, that is going to feed both the commitment and the motivation. Because if I know that having a successful business is going to help me give my daughters opportunities that I didn't have, give them the opportunity to learn new skills, help them achieve their dreams, help them move forward more boldly and more confidently, help them understand that there is always a choice that they never have to feel stuck. If it's going to help me provide for them a space where they can grow without feeling limited by outside things, then I'm telling you something. It's going to happen, right? And it's going to, that why is going to motivate me. And when I achieve, when I reach obstacles, when I see that things are not as easy as maybe I'd hoped, or when I don't get the results right away that I'm hoping for, that why is going to motivate me to find another way, to look for alternatives, to seek out the help and all this. But what's going to keep me going beyond that and what's going to keep me moving forward, even when the motivation dwindles, is my commitment. My not taking no for an answer. My not accepting that there's a plan B or a plan C. I'm going to do this. This destination is going to be reached no matter what. And like I said, I might need to go and get new skills, get resources, recruit some people, whatever. But it's all going to be in place or be done because I'm committed to this end result. I made a decision. I cut away all other options. I burned the boats. There's no other way. This is it, right? So when you understand the difference between motivation and commitment, you do what you decided you're going to do, whether you feel like it or not. Make sense? Awesome. Now, if you are looking at all these distinctions that I've been talking about, and I'm going to recap them in a minute, but if you're looking at these distinctions I'm talking about and you're thinking, gosh, that makes a whole lot of sense, but I just don't know how to get started. Or if you're looking at your life and you're feeling like I described at the beginning, kind of despondent, dissatisfied, frustrated, unfulfilled, you know there's something that you get to do, but you don't even know how to step out of all those emotions that are holding you down and keeping you behind. You keep sabotaging yourself in the process and you don't know how to get past it. If you know that there has to be more to your life than what you're living, but you're confused as to why, and you just want a more joyous life, you want better relationships, you want a career that makes sense with the rest of your life, and you want to live powerfully, purposefully, and and with prosperity, then I invite you to head on over to marciamaro.com and schedule a time for us to chat about what your plans are, what your path is moving forward, and how I might be able to support you in achieving that integrated life that you know deep down you get to live. Make sure to go to marciamaro.com and schedule that appointment. All right, so to recap, the three distinctions that are going to completely change your life if you choose to accept them and if you choose to embrace them are 
the get to versus the have to. You don't have to do anything. You get to do the things that you choose to do because you get to see the positive, amazing outcomes that you can create through them. The second distinction is blame versus responsibility. We're not looking to blame anybody or anything for the circumstances we're facing or for the pain that we're experiencing or for whatever it is that you're going through. We are looking to assume 100% responsibility because in assuming responsibility, we grab a hold of the steering wheel and we get to choose where we go with this experience next. And finally, the distinction between motivation and commitment is understanding that while motivation is nice, commitment is what's going to get you there. So start committing, cut away all other options, and yes, leverage motivation, but don't rely on it. Don't depend on it. Now, I really hope this has been helpful. If it has, share it with someone you love. And I will see you next time on Sincerely Speaking. And in the meantime, head on over to marciamaro.com and schedule that time for us to chat. Can't wait to meet you in person. Chat soon.